0: Problem, it wasn't on. (laughs) It's all good. All right, what was I saying? Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 17. And if you'd please stand with me for the reading of God's word. There's spiritual attack for you right there. All right, Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, says Paul, be strong in the Lord, And in the might of his strength, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, Of the evil one. Also receive the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is the reading of God's Word. Lord, we pray that you'd bless this message from your Word tonight about enduring spiritual warfare, about standing firm against the schemes of our enemy. Lord, we pray that as we hear this Word from you tonight, that it would strengthen our hearts as we remember these parts of the armor that we are to put on and that we would use them well in our own Christian walk. We love you and we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. I want to tell you a story of a a man named John Talbot. John Talbot was an English nobleman, the first Earl of Shrewsbury, and he fought during the Hundred Years' War. And in the year 1449, John Talbot was captured by the French. And evidently, while he was imprisoned, the thought came into his head to take an oath of chivalry, as was common in those days. He promised that he would never again wear armor against the French king. Of course, after he was released, he continued to lead campaigns against the French. But true to his word, remarkably, he did not wear armor. During the Battle of Castillon, Talbot's forces were greatly outnumbered, but to his amazement, he saw what he thought was a French retreat taking place. So deciding not to wait for reinforcements, he personally led an attack against the French line. But there was no retreat. Instead, Talbot and his men charged into a withering barrage of cannon fire. Talbot's horse was killed and fell on top of him. Because he wasn't wearing any armor, a French soldier was e- was able to easily dispatch him with a single battle axe blow to the head. Thus ends the story of John Talbot. But the French were so impressed by Talbot's chivalry that they erected a monument to him on the spot where he died. But I think any rational person looking at this story will think John Talbot was a fool. Who in their right mind would go into battle without wearing any armor? Believer, you are in a battle, but unlike our friend John Talbot, you will not be charging into cannon fire atop a mighty warhorse, waving a glittering sword. Your battle, as Paul says, is not against flesh and blood. You face far worse, far more deadly enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. This battle is of a spiritual nature, fought against a spiritual foe. Therefore, the weapons of your warfare must also be spiritual. And as you heard in our text for this evening, God has not left you defenseless. He has provided the means for you to defend yourself against the flaming arrows of the evil one. This passage on the armor of God is much loved throughout church history because of its relevance and importance to the Christian life. The Puritan William Gurnall wrote three volumes, nearly one million words, on these eight verses alone. I thought I would be able to read at least some of it. I was not. He writes that the Christian's calling is a continued warfare with the world and with the prince of the world. The Christian's calling is a continued warfare with the world and with the prince of the world. This is not a comfortable idea to our American evangelical ears. I thought the Christian life was supposed to be one of peace. Peace with God, peace with others. Most importantly, comfortable inner peace. Knowing my sins are forgiven and I'm accepted by my creator. And while these things are certainly true and we should not neglect them, they by no means take away the necessity of continued spiritual warfare. Why? Because the enemy does not sleep The schemes of Satan have been at work since the fall, as we've seen this morning. And he's still working. Peter says he resembles a prowling lion, always ready to devour you. Through his influence in the world and the different ways that he entices the flesh, Satan is working tirelessly to inflict damage on the work of God and believers. And if he were able to, he would even destroy it. To not be prepared to stand against this threat would be as foolish as riding into cannon fire without wearing any armor. Here, the Apostle Paul tells you that if you want to be prepared for spiritual conflict, there are three things that you need to know. First, you need to know where your strength for this battle comes from. Secondly, you need to know your enemy. And third, and finally, you need to know your armor. So first of all, you need to know where your strength comes from. In verse 10, Paul begins with an exhortation. Finally, be strong in the Lord, and in the might of his strength, put on the full armor of God. These are Paul's final thoughts to the Ephesians, and he wants his readers to be strong, because the Christian life is difficult. Yes, you live in the light of God's incredible grace, But the shadow of sin, the shadow of the fall, the threat of Satan, is always near. Charles Hodges wrote on this passage, Though the redemption purchased by Christ is so complete and so free, amen, yet between the beginning and the consummation of the work, there is a protracted conflict. This is not a figure of speech. It is something real and arduous. Salvation, however gratuitous, is not to be obtained without great effort. The Christian conflict is not only real, it is difficult and dangerous. It is one in which true believers are often grievously wounded and multitudes of reputed believers entirely succumb. Protracted conflict, real and arduous, great effort, difficult and dangerous. I'm sure each one of us here can give a weary amen to all of those descriptions. To be clear, the Christian life is not all about the fight, praise the Lord. But it's not all a walk in the park either. As Paul will say in the next few verses, you face real and deadly enemies who want nothing more than to grievously wound or even destroy the work of the gospel in your heart. So, while spiritual warfare is not the essence of the Christian life, it is essential to the health of your Christian life. And so, I want you to be strong, he says. Be strong. And I want you to know where your strength comes from. Because these enemies that you face cannot be defeated with sword and shield, at least not the physical kind. Where do you find spiritual strength? Paul's answer in the Lord. And in the might of his strength. What does that mean? It means there's no strength in me, but I find my strength in the Lord. And Lord here, of course, refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. And being in him refers to our union with him. It's from that union that we draw spiritual strength. Christ himself says that he is the vine, the source of your life and enrichment, and you are the branches. We take our sustenance from him. Apart from me, he says, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. Your whole spiritual life is in Christ from beginning to end. You're elected in Christ. You have your redemption and the forgiveness of your sins in Christ. Through the Holy Spirit, your eternal life is secure in Christ. It's all in Christ. Paul even goes so far as to say that he no longer even lives. But Christ lives in him. And now he wants you to know, believer, that you are strong in Christ. His strength is your strength. One of the great paradoxes of the Christian life is that we are strongest when we are weakest. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul is tormented by the thorn in the flesh, which he refers to as a satanic messenger. And he pleads with Christ three times that this thorn might be taken away. And what does Jesus say to him? My grace is sufficient for you. For power, that's his power that he's talking about, is perfected in weakness. So when Paul tells the Ephesians to be strong in the Lord, he's implying that they should recognize their inherent weakness. And what a comfort that is to know that when I am weak, Christ is strong. Know where your strength comes from. But knowing where your strength comes from and acting in that strength are two different things. My strength comes from God, yes, but how do I then be strong in him? How do I appropriate God's strength for my own spiritual battles? And Paul begins verse 11 with the answer, put on the armor of God. Put on the armor of God. This isn't God's divine armor, as described in some of the prophets, but it is armor that God provides to you. It's armor forged by the power of God's might and strength, specifically designed for this kind of conflict. Paul will return to the armor in a moment, but for now he turns to the Christians' spiritual enemies. Having encouraged you to know where your strength comes from, he now turns to warn you about the foes that you will face. In verse 11, Paul says, Put on the armor of God. Why? So that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Notice the purpose statement here. You put on the armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm. And Paul will use this phrase, stand firm, three times in this passage. And the image here is of a soldier in full battle dress, standing, waiting to receive the enemy. Ancient battles were decided by the firmness of the soldiers of one side or the other. If the troops on your side began to break and run, you knew that you were in trouble. Paul wants Christians to be strong in the Lord by wearing the armor of God so that they can stand firm and not break. And this word struggle that Paul uses is the same word used for a wrestling match. This isn't a faraway conflict that we stand aloof from. This is close up. It's in your face. The enemy you deal with the most is your own sinful flesh, which is itself under Satan's influence. The author of Hebrews describes sin as something that clings to us, And entangles us. The key to defeating the opponent is by standing firm and not getting thrown to the ground. We stand firm against the schemes of the devil. If you want to wage an effective warfare, as Sun Tzu said, it's important to know thy enemy. You must be well acquainted with his strategies. We went over some of them this morning. Jesus tells us the strategy of Satan in John 8. He says, he, Satan, was a murderer from the beginning. And he does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. What I told my students last week is that lying is Satan's native language. We can learn two things from what Jesus says here. Number one, Satan is... Very good at what he does. Very good. He's good at lying. He's been lying for thousands of years. It's his nature to lie. His schemes are founded in lies. So, part of your standing firm against his schemes will be discerning the truth from the lie. Number two, and thank God for this, Satan is unoriginal. He's a one trick pony. The author of Ecclesiastes says that there is nothing new under the sun. In all the years that humans have been around, there have been no new deceptions, just repackaged old ones. Satan is good at telling lies many different ways. St. John Chrysostom says, The devil never proposes to us sins in their proper colors. He does not speak of idolatry, but he sets it off in another dress. He employs disguises. And Satan is not alone in his scheming or in his attacks on believers. He commands a whole host of evil spiritual beings. Paul calls them rulers, authorities, world forces of this darkness, spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now clearly these are demons, demonic beings. And Paul sees them as having a powerful presence and influence in the world. Satan, after all, is called the god of this world, the prince of the power of the air. It's a small g god, by the way. He can't stand up to the god that we serve. But the world is his playground. The world is his dominion. You must remember that as a Christian, you live in enemy territory. And his goal is to tempt you back over to his side, if he can. Here again, Paul reminds his readers that this is a spiritual battle, not a physical one. Ultimately, our opponents are not human. Your battle is against the schemes of these demonic rulers and authorities who exercise their influence through worldly ideas and philosophies, false religions, false teachings in the church. They also entice your sinful flesh to do that which is contrary to God's will. So the question is, how can I possibly stand firm against such formidable enemies? They're smarter than me. They're more powerful than me. Earlier, the question was asked how can I be strong in the might of God's strength? And the answer to both is the same. Put on the armor of God. In the next few verses, Paul not only describes the armor, but he tells you how to put it on. Look at verse 13. Therefore, you face these strong enemies. Therefore, Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything, to stand firm. As Paul returns to the topic of the armor, he once again commands you, believer, to take it up and to put it on. And he's careful to say that you must take up the full armor. Our friend John Talbot wore no armor at all. But equally useless would be to wear half of the armor or only a piece of the armor or two. A helmet is useless if your torso is unprotected. You may be adept with a sword, but you're vulnerable without a shield. Take up the full armor. And then there's another purpose statement. So that you will be able to resist in the evil day. What is this evil day? Well, Paul doesn't have a specific day in mind but rather the present evil days that Christians live in. And the times when the attacks of the enemy are particularly fierce. This is a call for putting on the armor daily. Always wearing the armor. Be prepared, Paul says. An attack from the enemy could come at any time. The days are evil. And some days the battle is more intense than others. Be ready. An unprepared soldier is equally as vulnerable As an unarmored one. And having done everything, when you've put the armor on, stand firm. Stand firm. When you draw your strength from the Lord Jesus and you take up the armor that he has provided to you, you can stand firm. You can stand firm against the onslaught of the evil one. In verse 14, Paul begins to describe the armor, and he says again, Stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, having taken up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Also, receive the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, God's Word. These are the weapons of your warfare against the schemes and flaming arrows of the evil one. So let's work through these. Paul starts with truth, because the rest of the armor is grounded in truth. When Paul says, "'Gird your loins with truth,' My junior hires thought that was a funny saying last week. He means, prepare yourself with truth. Truth as opposed to the lies of Satan. Well, then there's the age-old question asked by Pontius Pilate. What is truth? What is truth? Specifically, what is this truth that the armor of God is grounded in? And I think Paul's answer is found in Ephesians 1.13, where he says, that the word of truth is the gospel of your salvation. The gospel of your salvation. The foundation of your defense against the evil one is the gospel of God's grace. The gospel that Paul says is the power of God for salvation, which is for all who would turn from their sin and trust in Christ's substitutionary death. The gospel that says that God is with you in this fight Because he's going to complete the work that he started in you. To put on the belt of truth is to believe the truth of the gospel, to stand firm upon it. In fact, each of the other pieces has something to do with the gospel. Look at the next piece, the breastplate of righteousness. Remember, Satan is a liar. So he's going to attack your right standing with God as a Christian. The right standing with God that was purchased for you by the death of Christ. Surely not you. Surely God wouldn't declare you righteous. If you're right with God, why do you feel so much guilt? If you're right with God, why are you sick? If you're right with God, why is your life so difficult? Surely a person who's right with God wouldn't have all the problems that you have, says the liar. Put on the breastplate. The very righteousness of God himself has been given to you as a free gift, apart from your own righteousness. Your sins have been taken away and placed on Christ. His righteousness has been placed on you. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. When the enemy's lies threaten, turn to the breastplate of Christ's righteousness given to you. Knowing that you're right with God brings peace. And that's the next piece of the armor. Wow, that got no laughs. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, The boots that were worn by Roman soldiers had nails stuck through the bottom of them so that they could stand and dig in and stand firm against oncoming enemies. The gospel, again, is the believer's firm foundation. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean feeling peaceful. The battle against sin and Satan is difficult, and often you feel anything but peaceful. But the peace that Paul speaks of is a peace of the soul, that comes from knowing that Christ has died for you, that your sins are forgiven, that you're right with God, that he is with you, that he's on your side in this conflict. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Continuing in verse 16, in addition to all, in addition to these pieces of the armor that we've already talked about, Having taken up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The trust that you have in the Lord Jesus acts as a shield against the enemy's flaming darts. Such darts might include various temptations to sin, thoughts of accusation against you, even though God has declared you innocent, false teaching. Persecution, even direct demonic attack through sickness of some kind, as with Job or with Paul's thorn in the flesh. Like flaming arrows, he launches them from afar at believers through his followers, through the world's influence, or through the flesh. But through faith in the trustworthiness of the gospel of Christ, you have a defense against all these things. The name of Yahweh is a strong tower, says Solomon. Solomon. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. And how many Psalms refer to God as our shield? Verse 17: Also receive the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I think the helmet of salvation is my favorite piece of the armor. The hope and the assurance of present and future salvation. Reminds the believer that ultimately the battle belongs to God. It's easy in this conflict to become weary. To lose hope. But remember that your salvation is not yet complete. The glory that has been promised to you is still yet to come. The defeat of your enemy is a sure thing, believer. Read the book of Revelation. We know the end of the story. The bad guy loses. That's the best spoiler that I can think of. Yes, the battle is difficult, but it belongs to the Lord. It belongs to our Lord, the Lord of hosts. Christ wins, and because you're in him, you win too. Who will separate us from the love of Christ, says Paul? Will affliction? What about turmoil? Maybe persecution or famine? or nakedness, or peril, or sword. We could add to that the schemes of the evil one. Will these things separate you from the love of Christ? No, says Paul. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. And the final piece of the armor is, of course, the sword. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This is the only offensive piece of the armor. And I think Charles Hodges again put it best when referring to the sword of the Spirit. He says, In opposition to all error, to all false philosophy, to all false principles of morals, to all the sophistries of vice, to all the suggestions of the devil, the sole simple and sufficient answer is the word of God. This puts to flight all the powers of darkness. The Christian finds this to be true in his individual experience. It dissipates his doubts. It drives away his fears. It delivers him from the power of Satan. We don't use the scriptures as some sort of magical formula to make all of our spiritual problems go away, but through the study and application of them, we turn away the attacks of the enemy, and we drive them back. When confronted by Satan's temptations in the wilderness, our Lord answered him with Scripture. Let your Bible be the primary weapon of your warfare. For in it is everything you need for life, for godliness, for defense against evil, both within and without. I want to give two final applications before we close. First of all, and I think this is probably the most important this is not just an individual fight. Paul is addressing the church as a whole. and He's compelling them to don the armor of God together so they can stand together. There are different ways to stand together. Spouses. I mean, Paul just got done talking with about the family, about the church, about our relationships in the workplace. All of these places All of these things are ways that we can stand together as the church. Spouses can and should encourage one another and their children with gospel truth so that their family can be protected from Satan's schemes. Being a part of the local church is crucial. Coming together to hear the word preached, to worship God in his presence, to be in close friendship with other believers, hearing the gospel each week, We get to hear the gospel each week. These things are wonderful ways of standing together and resisting the enemy. Throughout the week, being involved in a home group, talking with other Christians to minister to them, being ministered to yourself by other believers, that's how we take care of each other. That's how we stand firm together. Confess your sins to one another. Counsel one another. Comfort one another with the gospel. Caution your fellow believers away from sin. Allow yourself to be cautioned. Point each other to Christ. You prepare yourself with the armor of God and then you cheer on your fellow believers to do the same. Stand together against the enemy. Don't be caught outside your own lines. Are these things that you are committed to? Don't be a lone ranger Christian. The action movies lie. You actually need a lot of dudes and dudettes. Secondly and finally, I hope it's been clear, that this armor is for believers because the armor is comprised of the gospel itself. If you're not a believer, you cannot wear this armor because you're still in the realm of Satan, the enemy. Worse if you think you're a believer, but in all actuality you aren't this armor is going to be that much more ineffectual. But if that describes you, there is hope. You can be freed from the dominion of the devil and his minions. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. Have your sins washed away. Turn from your sin. Turn from your current master. Receive the free gift of eternal life. And then join the church in putting on the armor of God together and standing firm in the strength of his might. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this wonderful text of Scripture which tells us how to be prepared to defend ourselves and to help each other against the schemes of the evil one. Lord, many of us go through periods where we are assailed especially fiercely. Other times, we are at peace. Other times, there are small skirmishes here and there. I pray for each one of us that whatever stage of life we're in, whether under intense spiritual attack or experiencing a temporary peace, we pray that whatever the case, we would be prepared with the armor of God. That each day we would remember each of these pieces truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, the word of God, that each of these things would be appropriated into our lives as we walk the Christian life. And Lord, may we never forget that our strength is in you. May we never try to resist our own strength, for that is a failing endeavor, but may we always look to you for strength. We love you, Lord. We thank you again for the power of your word. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.